Welcome to the View from the Penalty Box podcast with Cam Connor. Classic hockey stories from one of hockey's toughest enforcers. Podcast number 23. I'm Cam Connor along with my son Chris. I can't believe it's only episode number 23. I feel like it's been it's been a couple of years that we've been doing this, but um, we're definitely enjoying it. So it's episode 23, and we have to start with the Stanley Cup Finals. It's Washington Capitals against your prediction. I guess you didn't predict that they'd make the finals, but you did predict they'd make the playoffs, the Las Vegas Golden Knights. So what are your thoughts right now as of this recording? They haven't begun. You know, I did predict Las Vegas would get into the playoffs, but in all honesty, I did not think they would do that well in the playoffs, as they did regular season, because once the regular season is over, the playoffs, it's starting a whole new season. So if you had a lousy regular season, you could redeem yourself by having an outstanding playoff, and uh, many guys have done that. With Las Vegas, when people at work would ask me, well, what do you think? And my thoughts were, okay, once you get into the playoffs, you know, Las Vegas is no longer a secret. This is a team that is a good hockey team, and you're going to step up knowing it's not an expansion team. At least they don't play like an expansion team. So I figured the first round of playoffs, they were going to get beat because the team would step up against them and they get beat. Well, it didn't happen. They won. So the second round, I said, okay, these guys, it's a little more serious. It didn't happen. I guess won. And I was still predicting against the, you know, the Winnipeg Jets. Boy, they were playing well. And uh, to beat Nashville, you know, they beat a really good team, Winnipeg. So I said, yeah, uh, this is for sure where the meet through Waterloo right here. And when the Jets won that first game pretty handedly, I said, yeah, this is the beginning of the end. And then Vegas took the next four straight. I mean, I was just shaking my head. I'm still shaking my head. So now they're in the finals. You know, I think most people kind of hope for the underdog in any situation. And it's never been done in any sports to go from expansion to championship team. Come on. If you got an example of that, I'd like to hear, please. But I don't think it's ever happened. So I, I got to believe most people... Even if Vegas isn't your favorite team, you know, this would be something good for the for the game of hockey. And it'll hit all the different newspapers, especially, you know, being stationed out of Las Vegas. So, you know, good luck to them. Washington, I got to say again, what a big, strong team. And Ovechkin, when I watched him in the playoff last year, I was disappointed. He has so much talent, size. Uh, he can skate. He can he can hit, he can shoot, he's got it all. But I watched last year's playoffs, he just was standing there kind of waving, hey, pass me the puck and I'll shoot it. He didn't get involved in the game, he didn't bang bodies, he didn't get in the corners and muck to get the puck. This year, it's a different Ovechkin that has showed up for the playoffs. It's paying dividends for him and his hockey team. And I'm going to go back to say it's going to be hard to beat, so if if Fleury in net for Vegas, if he keeps standing on his head, it is going to be a very interesting series. I, I'm, 
I want to say Vegas, but I still can't believe they're going to do it. So I got to go with Washington, but I'm kind of hoping for Vegas, Chris. So your final answer is Washington? Well, that's my final answer, but it's kind of with a question mark. Yeah, but that's everybody. (laughs) Uh, So I wanted to, I don't know if people follow the NHL Public Relations Twitter account. It's PR underscore NHL. It's, uh, it's really interesting for people that like stats. So since I know your buddy George McPhee is one of the reasons why you thought Vegas would make the playoffs, I'm going to read one of, or actually probably, yeah, one tweet that they posted that's interesting. So they said that George McPhee is the first GM in the NHL's expansion area, era since 1967-68 and just the second in league history to face a former team of which he was GM in the Stanley Cup final. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah. And, and the second thing that they write is that George McPhee acquired 13 of the Capitals' 25 players who have appeared in the 2018 Stanley Cup playoffs. So he's been involved with... Uh, Almost every player that's playing in the finals. Yeah, well, that gives you, you know, I don't know if that's going to help him, you know, with the game plan when you take on Washington. You know, George, he's, he's not a stupid guy. He's well-educated, and uh, he's dedicated to putting the best team on the ice that he can. He was with Washington, but, you know, they, they just they didn't win the cup, and that's the end of somebody, so that was the end of George. But uh, it's come together for him for many, many different reasons. It's not just George, and that's why. I mean, you look at the management, the team that he's picked, meaning the front office guys, he's picked winners, the guys that he picked on the ice, he believed on them. And again, Fleury, I just can't emphasize enough how so much of that team's success uh, is through that goaltender. And I don't know him at all. I've never even seen him in person. But every time I see that gentleman, he has got a smile on his face. He's a happy person. And, you know, when you get people like that on your hockey team, it's contagious. And you get other people happy. And with his leadership, even if you lose, you look for some positives and you get back into a good mood and you try your best the next game. I just think Fleury is, uh, he should be MVP in my opinion. So we'll see how that plays out. We're going to get to your questions. So if you have an email that you'd like to send to my dad, please send it to viewfromthepenaltybox at gmail.com. You can always send him a tweet on Twitter at CamConnorNHL. But before we do, I believe it was last week, maybe two weeks ago, we had the privilege to attend a movie called Flin Flon, A Hockey Town. And we're going to talk a little bit about what we thought just because you played for the Flin Flon bombers and so if anyone's interested to hear about this movie the website is flynnflonfilm.com and uh, i know if you've listened to this podcast you've heard a lot about this uh, city with a strange name and so i'll read just what the description is uh, so you can kind of understand what dad's talking about so it says flynnflon manitoba is located nearly 1000 kilometers north of the u.s border in central canada the small mining community is also the only city in the world to be named after a science fiction character, Josiah Flinta Batty. Yeah, good Flanatin luck in saying Fran- that name. Yeah, I guess I should have read this first. I might have skipped that sentence. Uh, so Flintflon, a hockey town, explores the town's eccentric obsession with its legendary junior hockey team, the Flintflon Bombers, 
and how the team and the community thrive off one another. The Bombers organization dates back to 1927, and many legendary NHL players were born and played in Flin Flon, including Bobby Clark, Reggie Leach, and Jerry Hart. And your name's not on there, but we'll say you did play for them, too. Well, I, I wasn't born in Flin Flon. Oh, is that what they're saying? Oh, yeah, that's true. So, um, and what's interesting is the director, Dustin Cohen, is from California. So uh, he chose to make a film from a, a small northern Canadian hockey town. So we, we checked it out, and it was interesting from my point of view to see just where you played. And I've heard a lot of stories about this this little, not even a city, this little town. And I, I have to say I really liked it. I learned a lot about the city, and they're still uh, making the players they're not working in the mines, but I think they're working in uh, the, the mills. Yeah, well, the mines closed. My oh, okay. understanding, the mines closed, and so it, it appeared in the movie. It looked like a little forestry is involved now. So, yeah. So, what what were your thoughts getting to see the the I guess the the town that you played yeah. in in what, what 1972, 73, I believe. Well, you know, for me. I haven't been back to Flin Flon since I played hockey. I mean, it's uh, fond memories, the small town environment. The ho- hockey was the only thing for entertainment uh, in Flin Flon. Um, and so when my son had mentioned that this was at the theater, it was a show, one showing at a noon hour on a hot day. I hummed and hawed, and I said, you know what, let's do it. Let's go have a look. And honestly, I mean... Who, who does that appeal to unless you're from Flin Flon or maybe you played hockey there? Nobody else is going to bother to go. I got to say it. I, didn't, I mean, I didn't sit there and count, but there's two levels in this theater. I'm going to say there was for sure a thousand people there. I was really amazed. And, um, you know, it really, it, it talked about, you know, growing up in Flin Flon and they showed the main streets and. It was different because it was a little bit more modern. They didn't show back from when I lived there. But, uh, you know, I did recognize a lot of things. And um, they they asked, uh, you know, any questions when it was all over. And it was probably, I'm going to say, 45 minutes to an hour. Um, and they talked. It was all hockey, mostly all hockey. But it was, when I played in Flin Flon and Bobby Clark and some of these others, um, it was in what's called a Western... Canada Hockey League back in those days is called the Western Hockey League now, which is in the top junior league in Canada. And with Flin Flon, I think the mine used to sponsor us and our expenses so, you know, they could play in the more expensive, a lot more traveling in, in the Western Hockey League, Western Canadian Hockey League. Now they're in the Saskatchewan Junior League, which means they only play in the province of Saskatchewan and maybe some teams out of Manitoba. So there was a lot less traveling. And I remember, I think they said in the movie, yeah, you know, we we have one trip that's like four hours or five hours. And I was kind of chuckling because uh, where we played, it was minimum nine hours on the bus one way. So, you know, again, it was good to watch it. And then they had some former players talking and the only thing, if there is a criticism about the movie of, of Flin Flon or the life of the Flin Flon hockey, is they didn't put anybody's name underneath who was talking. So 
I was telling my son here, I said, oh, I think I know, who is that guy? And, and, you know, and in my own mind, I was wondering if I knew that person talking about Flintplon because I played with about, I don't know, seven or eight guys on our Flintplon bomber team that were actually from Flintplon. They were great hockey players and warriors. So when it was all over, they kind of list who was in the movie, but I'm not lying. If they had 25 names, they give you a second and a half to try to look at it, and then they went on to something else. I did notice uh, a couple names real quick, then I said, oh, that's so-and-so, and then it was gone. So that's the only thing is I wish they would have identified who these speakers were. So if you're from Flin Flon or like myself, I uh, haven't seen these guys in how many years, it, it would be good for me to go, wow, that's what he looks like today. Perfect, or they look like. So that's about the only criticism. And then at the very end, they brought a couple people up on stage and they were discussing the movie. And then they asked if there was any questions. And I, in my mind, I was prepared. I, I thought of my flim-flom stories and things that were very interesting. So that if they identified some of the hockey players, because one of the guys sitting in front of me, when there was any questions, he put his hands up. And this guy is even older than me. And he said, hey, is there any ex-players here that used to play on the Flint Flon Bombers? So I was on the lower level, and I saw three hands plus mine, maybe four hands. And I don't know how many were upstairs. And in the and I, and I was waiting for the moderator to just say, "Oh, well, who are you guys? And what can you tell us about your days playing hockey in Flintstone?" Because that's what the movie was about. And you know, the guy just said, "Oh, that's great. Thanks for coming." And, and that was the end of that. And I think that we could have added a little bit more to the environment just going back on the days because. When I played in Flint Flon, oh, was it rough hockey and the fans were rowdy and I could have shed a different light on, you know, the modern day Flint Flon bombers versus the older Flint Flon bombers. So it was good. So, if, you know, if that interests you, it's, it's, it's worth looking at. It's like 45 minutes or so and uh, you get a chance to, to view it and uh, you'll see what another part of the world looks like. It's freaking cold up there too. And the only, and I might have, and I'm going to apologize if I if I'm repeating myself, but I do remember Flin Flon again. So there was one story. So you know that it's kind of tells you it's a rugged mining town. So I fought a lot in Flin Flon, and I was on the ice for 62 games, and I got just under 400 penalty minutes, and uh, had a real good year point wise. So it's a little town. So these guys, they know who I am and who all the other hockey players are. And so I was told my girlfriend, who is my wife now, I was in Flint Flon after the game. I went to the Flint Flon Hotel and used the pay phone. And it was one of these phones back in the day. You know, they give you a minute warning and say, oh, we need another $2. Um, and you had a whole pocket full of change and you throw that in. And so I'm on the phone talking to the girlfriend. And there was a guy leaning up against the wall just staring at me. So I said to my wife, my girlfriend, Sherilyn, I said, just a minute. And I said to the guy, I said, um, I'm going to be a few more minutes if you're waiting for the phone here. And he goes, no, I don't want to use the phone. I said, so why are you staring at me? And the guy says, well, I heard you're pretty tough and I want to fight you. So I remember telling him, I was a little crazy back then. Not so much today, I don't think, but back then. So I just said, to the girlfriend, hey, let me call you back. 
And him and I went out in the street and we had a nice scrap and uh, he wasn't hanging around the hallway staring at me anymore after that. So that's what Flin Flon was like. It was a little bit of a punchy place to, to grow up. I enjoyed it too. It sounds like you enjoyed it as well. So if anyone is interested, again, it is flynnflonfilm.com. And again, try saying that one three or four times fast. So we're going to get to a question that we have from Frank in Wasaga Beach, which I think is in Ontario. And he writes, I'm a longtime fan of Barry Dean, who you played with, with the Phoenix Roadrunners. Do you have any memories you can share of him? And I'll just add that you, in previous uh, episodes, you have mentioned Barry Dean. Uh, but if you have any other stories you could think of? Well... You know, having concussions and my memory is not that good and whether I've already told these stories or I haven't. But, you know, when I think of Barry, um, I was first year in Phoenix. Um, I lived by myself and I kept to myself. And in the second year, Barry and I, we shared the same player agent. And the player agent suggested, hey, you know, Barry signing there, he's a good guy, why don't you live together, show him the ropes. So Barry and I, we rented a house, and uh, it, Barry is a fine, fine, happy guy, and he brought a lot of joy to my life, and, you know, I did a lot more interacting with people than I had, and so, you know, it, it was it was wonderful, and I probably mentioned, you know, I don't ever remember having food in our refrigerator, and it was a beautiful house, by the way, with uh, a great view of... Uh, the surrounding desert but Barry likes his beer back in those days and our fridge without any exaggeration never had food in it from the back of the fridge every single level to the front was full of beer and after every practice Barry would invite everybody over for beer and it was just a, kind of a gathering house and so anyways that's what I remember about Barry the other thing I remember well the two things I remember is, is Barry had a, I don't know what you call it, I'll call it a boogie van back in the day. So what it was, it was a big old van that had a bed in the back. It was, you know, custom made inside. It had a table and and it had a, like a tap in there with water and the fridge. And, and it was pretty nice. And on the outside, on both sides, was murals. It was really well done. And so I was with Barry one day, and he, he saw this thing outside of a small car lot, and he went in and negotiated, and and he uh, came up with an agreeable price, and he paid the gentleman, took possession of it, and uh, he probably had it a few months, and then one day he got a letter from Ford Motor Company, and it said, we are coming to, we're going to repossess your van in the next two to three weeks. Um, it's never been paid for, and so we're coming to get it. So obviously, you know, Barry paid this guy, and that guy never paid Ford Motor Company. And, and I can't remember all the finer details, but at the end of the day, our lawyer found out, you know, no way they're not going to give it up, and uh, you're stuck in giving it back. So we're out in the desert. We're out looking for rattlesnakes one day, and Barry was pissed that he's going to have to give this van up, and uh, he paid for it. So what he did is, if you ever been out in the desert, they got a lot of thorny bushes and tall sororus cactus that are, you know, got needles on it. So Barry took his van and he run it right up the side of these thorny bushes and 
scratched both sides of his van. And he was pissed that he had to give it back. And uh, you talk about fate. So we get back to our house in Phoenix, and uh, there was mail. So he opens up the mail from Ford for him, and it said, we've reconsidered. We're not going to take the van back now. I laughed my ass off. So there's got to be a moral to the story there. So Barry, he got to keep the van, but he kind of scraped up his paint job on it. And the other thing I remember about Barry, and this is weird, kind of, I mean, he didn't do it all the time, but, you know, we'd go out on the road and that, and Barry would bet people that he could eat glass. And I'd say, what are you talking about? So he'd get, like, a wine glass, and uh, he'd start chewing on this glass and swallowing it. And that's pretty weird, but uh, I, I, even I didn't want to try that. So, you know, Barry's the only guy that I know that could eat glass and get away. And speaking of Barry... He had a buddy. Now, Barry played junior hockey in a place called Medicine Hat. And there was a buddy of his, the same age, named Brian Maxwell. Barry was a forward and Brian was a defenseman. Brian played in the World Hockey. He played in the NHL. He had a good career. And then he uh, he coached, I think, mostly in the Western Hockey League. But I don't know if he was coaching in the American League or Central League as well or even assistant coach in the NHL, but he, he coached for quite a while after. Barry, excuse me, Brian was a, a big boy. He was a Mormon. He wasn't a typical Mormon, though. He was a free thinker. Tough boy. And uh, Barry Dean used to have what he called a beefaroo. He lived in uh, Maple Creek, Saskatchewan. And his dad had a farm and uh, cows and so on. So what he decided to do, because I told you he's a friendly guy, he decided to have a beefaroo every year. And they would slaughter a cow, and then they had bands playing. And I can't remember if you had to bring your own booze or he even supplied it, but he only charged 25 bucks, if you can believe it. And it was all you could eat. And I remember I brought my dog, and people, well, you know, when you get a big side of beef, they would eat and eat and eat, and then they'd be so full, they'd call my dog over and feed the rest of the beef to them, these individuals. Well, my dog ate so much beef, that he was turning it down. He was so full. People tried to give him more beef. He just wanted to go lay down. So at this uh, beef roux, and, you know, I was tough. Barry was, excuse me, Brian Maxwell was tough guy. And he was there. And Brian said to me, he said, see those two guys over there? Yeah, I see them. He said, they're pretty tough. And they want to fight you and I. And the winner will get 100 bucks. What do you think? And I said, well, you want to do it? He goes, yeah, yeah, we'll kick the, you know, we'll, let's fight those guys. And, you know, we're making over a hundred grand each. And I'm saying, why do I want to fight a guy and win and get a hundred bucks, 50 bucks each or a hundred bucks each? I said, it's not worth it to me. But old Maxie, he wanted to do it. But being as mature as I was, I just said, that's so stupid. So we didn't fight him. But I remember that with Maxie. He loved to fight. And, uh, you know, speaking about Barry eating glass, well, I lost some money to Brian. And as I mentioned, I, I don't like hanging around with guys on the other team. I don't even like being in the same bar. But I knew Maxie. I liked them. And if I like you, I like you. And so they were in town, and I think it was even Phoenix. And uh, he said, well, let's go for a beer after. So we went to this bar. We would go, all the players would go to. And uh, Maxie said to me, he said, I bet you $100 I could drink a full beer in less than one second. You're on, buddy. That's a no-brainer. 
who can drink a full beer in less than one second? I said, okay. And so what he, he had to get a certain glass that it wasn't a narrow mouth on it. It was a wider one. And so the, this bar had one. And so he put a full beer in it. And now believe me, you're going to find it hard to believe. All right. But I was sitting there watching the guy. He just put his head back and he, I don't know how you do it. He opened his throat up and he just put his, the beer to his lips and then tilted it back. Boom, boom. And it was down. It's just like throwing it over your shoulder and putting your glass down. He, yeah, are you sure he didn't throw it over his shoulder? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I had my buddy Roddy Piper fool me a few times with throwing some drinks over his shoulder. But no, I watched him. I'll be damned, man. Honest to God. I know it's hard to believe, but I saw it. So I had to pay him 100 bucks. He did it. So the next day, you know, I'm in the dressing room because I know Maxie's around for a day or two. And I say to the guys in the team, you should see this guy. And they said, not a chance. You can't drink it in less than one second. I said, I bet whoever wants to bet, step up. I had a lot of money coming at me. And I'm going to say two to 300 bucks. I was betting the guys on the team. They all showed up at the bar. A different bar, though, and they couldn't find the wide mouth glass that Maxi likes. So he had to settle for a the glass that wasn't as wide up top as what he would prefer. Anyways, he it probably took him a second and a half. So I lost two to three hundred bucks on that. So anyways, that's what I think about Maxi, man. I've never seen a guy drink a beer so fast. You can Google Brian Maxwell. He had an interesting career. And again, he got into coaching. Uh, and Maxie, if you're listening, send me an email, buddy. Okay, so we just wanted to thank everyone for their reviews on iTunes. It's always amazing when we check and we see another person has either given us five stars or even has uh, included a comment. So we definitely appreciate that. So we'll get to the next question, which is from Kyle in Edmonton. And that's where we're from. And I think that's probably our first question from Edmonton. Uh, so Kyle asks, who is the last person in hockey that you've talked to? Yeah, um, you know, you, you run into the ex-Oilers, the guys, you know, through the alumni. We see each other fairly regular. And then during hockey season, you see the guys quite a bit. And, and up in our alumni room, I brought a couple of my clients up there and Gretz was there. So it was nice to be able to introduce some of my clients to Wayne Gretzky because, and you know, the, I love Wayne and all the players that I played with over the years, but you know, when you change beside them and you get to know these people, honest to God, they're just like, you know, anybody else and there's other people that put them up in this pedestal. So it was great for me to see Wayne and say hello. And, and I typically, when I'm in the same room as Wayne, it's so interesting because, you know, some of the guys in the room that don't know Wayne, they're over there want to get in pictures and they want to get autographs. And then the guys that know Wayne, they want to go over there and start talking to Wayne. And I tend to just want to leave the guy alone. So I might go over, shake his hand, and just move on. And this particular day, uh, like Wayne was uh, up in our alumni room uh, between the second and third period, and there was nobody up there. So Wayne and I, we got 10, 15 minutes to talk, and the Three clients I had up there, wonderful guys, you know, and they were just thrilled to be able to say hello to Wayne and uh, maybe listen to a couple stories. And, and, you know, you just realize Wayne and everybody else, they're just they're just like anybody else. And so 
I'm happy to see these guys, but I'm, you know, you're just not excited like a hockey fan. I'm, I'm more interested in their personality, what kind of people they are off ice. Did you tell them about this podcast? <laughs> no, but I probably should have told them and say, Wayne, give me your number and I'm going to get you on here. See, we're, that, we're the worst promoters of this podcast. That's why we need every, everyone's help to, yeah. to spread the word. Yeah. Um, well, probably the, probably maybe the last guy I talked to was a good friend of mine. And I, I love the guy. He's not talked about him, Tom Laidlaw. Um, Rich Preston, another guy who was one of the recent ones. Rich is the assistant coach for San Jose. And uh, it was during, just after, during the playoffs, I, I tracked him down. And, and I just said, Rich, who, because when you play the game and, and you've got a different opinion, because you know each team from being on the ice competing against them versus watching them on TV or a couple times when they come into your city or reading the newspapers or listen to a reporter's opinion. So I, I asked his opinion on who was going to win, and he gave me his opinion. Um, but the team that he picked didn't make it to the finals. So who was that? He thought that, uh, you know, Pittsburgh Penguins were going to win it all. So, again, the, the playoffs come. It's a whole new season. And so you can step it up. Pittsburgh were very good. And I think that they regret Pittsburgh now that we're on that topic. You know, Fleury, if you look at him last season, not, not the one that just played, but when he was with Pittsburgh, he didn't have a very good regular season. And then their starter goalie that played good. Got hurt for the playoffs, and, I, and I, this is pretty close to accurate. I think Fleury went like 10 games straight in net for Pittsburgh, and he was a whole different Fleury than the regular season. And so that's probably, I don't really believe that Salary had the, was the main reason that they let him go. I think he's like 33, and, you know, maybe... He gave signs that he's not going to be there for the whole regular season, and maybe he'd be a backup. Well, that guy rejuvenated himself when he. So if he was in Pittsburgh all year long, playing the way he did for Vegas, you could bet your butt that you would see Pittsburgh in the finals, without a doubt in my mind. Okay, so we have a question from Christy. And she says, hello, Cam, was wondering if you had any run-ins or stories about Fred Shero you could share. I admired him, even if I'm the farthest thing from a Flyers fan. I read somewhere he almost ended up coaching the Minnesota Fighting Saints, but turned them down. He's known as an eccentric. Hope you have a good story. Love the podcast and keep it coming. So you have talked a little bit about Fred Shero in previous episodes. Uh, is there anything else that you have that you could think of about Fred? You're right, Chris. Um, I have talked about Fred. I respect, you know, there's people I don't respect. And, and for various reasons, Fred, I respect. And I have one particular story that is a doozy. You know, Fred's passed away. He does have a son, obviously. Maybe he's got two sons. I think he's got one for sure. I wouldn't want to say something that might be misinterpreted as disrespectful to Fred because I, I, I respect him so much. And when I got sent to the minors, I talked to Fred about it. And he, he told me, he said, it's political cam and believe me, you shouldn't be sent to them. He made me feel good. 
And again, it was Craig Patrick's doing for whatever reason. I, I respect Fred so much that I, I can't, I probably won't tell the one story that I have on him. He was a good man. He was a quiet man. You, you know, Fred would, he wouldn't go on the ice. Oh, it was rare that he went out on the ice for practice. And I mean rare. Um, it was always our assistant coach. Fred was always around. And uh, Fred, you know, marched to the beat of his own drummer. But he was never negative with other people. He wasn't a screamer, yeller type of guy. He, he kept very civil and respectful to his players, unlike uh, a lot of other coaches. And so, you know, I, I don't really have any more stories to tell you about Fred than the ones I've already told you. If I think of a few in the next little while, we'll come back to that. But again, just know the man that you've talked about, Fred Shiro, he's a wonderful man, and that's a good guy to respect. And so I remember uh, when you first started this, or probably maybe by episode 10, you asked people on Twitter if they wanted to hear some interesting stories that are not hockey-related, and you've uh, shared like mafia stories and things like that. So you have a story about being sued for $67 million and you actually lost the lawsuit. So if anyone just wants to hear hockey stories, you can tune out now. Thanks for listening. But if you want to hear a little bit more, a bonus story, Dad, do you want to share how, how many people in the, do you know that's been sued for $67 million and lost? And so do you want to tell that story? And it's actually not a happy story, but it, no. is, it is interesting. Well, I'll tell you what. It probably takes five or ten minutes to tell the story. I didn't do anything wrong. Um, you know, again, I'd have to tell the story, but... Just tell the story. Well, no, I think what I'm going to do... Cause People I, can turn it off if they don't want to hear it. No, well, I think what I'll do is is we've probably gone long enough today. So, if you know, if, if somebody wants to... If there's a few people out there that just write in and say, Hey, let's, you know, let's... So, if, if people want to hear, I'll tell you the $67 million. Just like I didn't think people would want to hear much about my 98-year-old father, but people wrote in and said, yeah, yeah, I'd like to hear about your dad. So, again, if, if this is something, because it's not a hockey topic, it's, you know, it, it was interesting. and But, you know, you learned some lessons, and I didn't lose my house, and I had lots of insurance. And so I could tell you the stories. But, again, just let us know, and then I'll tell you the story next time. Okay, I tried. So if anyone is interested, let us know. And if not, we'll stick to we'll stick to hockey. Uh, so thanks again. Send an email, view from the penalty box at gmail.com. Uh, Twitter, Cam Connor, NHL. If you wanted any of our t-shirts or merchandise, it's viewfromthepenaltybox.com slash merch. M-E-R-C-H. So until next time, I'm Chris. And I'm Cam. Thank you. 